Hello, welcome back to the Badass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series show podcast where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick and with me as always is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Man, I can't believe that they expect us to believe that Joker can take a bunch of money, hire a lawyer, and get his his crazy list of crimes wiped out. That just makes no sense to me. How the hell is anybody supposed to believe this this universe? Well, you know, money goes a, a long way. Um, and I think that was what you left out of your story is the fact that he did it while he was d- dirt poor. So that's what was uh, that was that's what was not believable about it. Yep. Yeah. What was the uh, phrase from Johnny Cochran? Like. It's, if he's laughing with glee, then he must go free, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't help but help but notice uh, some parallels there as well. So we might get into that a little bit as we talk about it. But the two episodes yeah. we're talking about today are Joker's Millions and Growing Pains from what is quote unquote season four of Batman the Animated Series, also known as the New Batman Adventures. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll talk about. Joker's Millions. Joker's Millions, written by Paul Dini, directed by Dan Reba. And in this one, crime boss Edward King Barlow dies, and in his will leaves his arch rival, the Joker, a large fortune of $250 million. The Joker immediately goes on a shopping spree, even searching for a replacement for Harley Quinn, but realizes too late that almost all of the money is fake as a joke of Barlow's to trick him. Uh, They're based Mm -hmm. on a comic book story of the same name. Uh, It is also references uh, Brewster's Millions, the the, uh, the Richard Pryor movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this one's it's interesting because this is kind of like in the same vein a bit as the uh, villains to try to turn over a new leaf story. But for mm-hmm. the for the Joker, it's appropriate in that he's he's just he's not really trying to do that. He's just greedy. And uh, it's it's a nice Joker take on that that whole trope instead of instead of Joker trying to just go uh, straight up legit. Um but yeah, yeah uh, did did you want to uh, talk about this one at all in reference to White Knight? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so if I had to pick three episodes that probably influenced me on White Knight from this series, then this would be number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's very much there. Um, I think maybe this episode is what made me think, oh, well, what if... I don't see why his crimes can't be wiped out if he's never been proven beyond a reasonable doubt to have actually ever committed, you know, killed anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if you have a Joker that's running around wearing somebody's face, that's constantly, you know, uh, murdering people and there's photographic evidence and whatever, then th- him buying his freedom doesn't make sense. But if this is an animated Joker where, uh, it's maybe he's toned down a lot. Um, sure. He's put this, he's threatened to blow up the city, but, uh, is there any proof of it? And if you have a police force that's so corrupt that they've padded the evidence against him to suspect every committed, every uh, accusation that they've ever done, maybe with comic book logic, there is a way for, for Joker to get off. And I think that's what I was going for. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I, I know we had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of discussions about that as you were writing it because, <laughs> I, I felt that that was a big hurdle to get around is you, you need to if if you're going to clear the Joker of his crimes, 
you kind of have mm-hmm. to make it clear that this is a different kind of Joker. Um, because once he starts, he starts literally killing people with laughing gas that turns their face into giant smiles. You kind of know who did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think this one. I think in the in the toned down animated world, this works mm-hmm. really well, and it starts off with a great uh, bit where the Joker is broke, yeah. which was a, is a ton of fun. Because you've got <laughs> yeah. him, you know, he's only got a couple bullets. Actually, my favorite bit of uh, uh, trivia, well, there's two, my two favorite bits, but I'll start with the first one. I'll get to the other one later. Is, mm-hmm. um, hold on one second. Uh, it says, Joker must be entirely destitute. Small caliber bullets, like the 22 rounds Joker hand, Joker's handgun uses, were pennies each at the time this mm-hmm. episode was made, especially in the United States. Magazines, however, are much more expensive. Joker is seen ejecting one and leaving it at the scene. So clearly, because obviously the writing of this episode is is that well researched that it knows the price of bullets and and stuff. Uh, it shows yeah. how reckless he is that he leaves behind the more expensive magazine and can't afford yeah. to buy new bullets for his gun. You know, it's funny um, when cops who read comics or soldiers or people who know guns and have military experience. It must be clear to them that the writers are have zero military experience mm-hmm. oftentimes and are sort of going with like a Hollywood version of what guns and clips and bullets and stuff do, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it must be hard to be a Navy SEAL and to know what trigger discipline is, to know not to put your finger on the trigger unless you're ready to shoot, to know how to enter a building, to know this, to know that, and then open a comic of like, you know, Bruce Wayne, who's this tactical mastermind and all these people and none of them is using you know trigger discipline at all because the writer he watched predator aliens you know uh (laughs) police academy and a bunch of other movies and that's where he gets his uh, references from rather than actually being a military badass like it must be frustrating to be a reader that knows a lot about guns trying to read comics where the writers obviously don't (laughs) yeah i mean especially when they have guns like uh cable uses which are gigantic i mean how can you reconcile that in real life right well, that's the workaround, <laughs> is you make it all so much fantasy that there's enough room to debate. Yeah, yeah I, I, I get you. I think, there, I think there's a certain level of uh, how much does that really matter to some extent. Um, yeah. You know, if, if that's what your character is based on, sure, it probably matters more than than it doesn't. Um, yeah. But if I, I, hopefully that doesn't make or break the comic experience. Although I have to say, yeah, they, uh, in movies, they put so much work now into getting that stuff looking right that Mm -hmm. uh when i go back and i watch predator now the thing Mm -hmm. that stands out to me about predator is nobody holds a gun correctly in that whole movie they all they all hold the the guns with the stock under their arm just to emphasize their bicep yeah and it's like (laughs) it's fine because like there's a shot where he i think i can't remember where i just talked about this recently uh he is a shot where uh, he walks into frame and it's mm-hmm. just like waist level. So you can see his, Arnold's huge bicep on the gun as he walks. Oh, it's, it's done on purpose to emphasize the size of his arm and stuff. But yeah. I think we may, we may have talked about this on the very last episode of this show. I don't remember. But if we did. Well, to expand, we can expand on it because I've had more thoughts about this. Um, I, I, I th- you're right. When, when, when movies like think about Casablanca and Dick Tracy. When characters step into frame, they're like, ah, she, this is a gun. Ah, now put all the money on the in the corner. And they're holding the gun by their hip. And oh, it's sure. a pistol, yeah. which is even less, which is even harder to aim. 
Plus, it's a forty-five, which is a notoriously un, un, uh, you know, it doesn't aim very well. Mm-hmm. So back in the thirties, that didn't really bother anybody. But as time moved on, we're like, all right, maybe they should hold the guns in front of their faces so they're actually using the sights. And then you know, you have another wave of the next generations. Like, what if we have tons of machine guns? What if Arnold just holds it like this? Like, mm-hmm. that'll be cool. And for a while, that was fine. But now we know every the general audience knows more about guns now. Where you keep adding new things of the list, the things that you should know about guns if you're going to be in entertainment. Like, I think it's fair at this point to say, don't have characters hold pistols by their hips. Don't have characters hold it like Arnold did in Predator. Don't have characters with fingers on their triggers, even though they have no intention of actually firing the weapon. Like, I don't, I actually agree with readers who get nitpicky about that stuff. Like, in each, each generation of entertainment sort of tightens up the rules about, you know, what's real with guns. Because... There's so many documentaries and YouTube channels about like the the flaws in movies and like you can't actually throw a match into a pool of gasoline and have it explode. What will really happen is the candle will go out because you need like atomized gas. You need it to be vapor for it to actually work. And more and more people are aware of this now. So I think that it is fair to say creators should be more aware of like the real the realism of of these things. Um, but. I uh, once got in trouble because I drew a, a guy with a sniper rifle. And the reference I used, um, I apparently gave him a left-handed sniper rifle, and he was firing it with the right hand, mm-hmm. so the shells would actually eject into his face. <laughs> <laughs> and someone called me out on it, and that's one where I'm like, go fuck yourself. I, like, come on. I, I drew trigger discipline. I don't have him shooting from the hip. Like I did nine out of ten things right. You think you could just let me go on this one? Yeah, I don't. I don't think nine of those 10 things really matter honestly i mean it's fine if if that's what you want to spend your spend your calories on that's fine but like yeah would i would i rather somebody drop a match into a pool of gasoline than have them do it correctly yeah because it looks better you know (laughs) right i i i would as long as it's semi-believable i think it's fine and uh yeah i i think there's there's a certain level of of uh accuracy that the right. suspension of disbelief comes into in, into play for the sake of a, right. an arresting and uh, interesting image. Do you, do you agree that people used to give a lot more of leeway and that readers now are tightening up a lot on what they on what looks right and what doesn't? You know what I mean? Uh, some, I guess. I mean, I guess it's it it, it matters. It depends if that kind of thing matters. You know. Uh, like mm. everybody who was watching Casablanca and all of those Humphrey Bogart movies <laughs> had just gotten back from World War II, so they all knew who, how guns worked. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't really. I. I think, like I said, I think there's a, a a level of. I think it comes down to the to the the piece itself. I. I yeah. If if it shatters believability, then no, don't do it. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it. I think it depends on uh, a piece, a piece by piece basis. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like I, I'm happy to tighten it up if it's reasonable. Like I think trigger discipline is pretty reasonable to put into comics these days. Like I can easily have people holding guns without their fingers being behind the trigger. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if it gets those, you know, ten Navy SEALs who read Batman off my ass, <laughs> fine, I'll do that. <laughs> But I'm sure they're probably going to be okay with a matchstick in a pool of gas blowing up. Sure, sure. That's just fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was when I was working on on Bloody Hell, one of the things I had to kind of figure out early on because I had so much um, 
excuse me, so much reference and stuff in, in my head and in front of me. And I'm like, how much of this stuff, how minute detail am I going to get into here? And then I, I very quickly was like, well, I'm going to get into as much detail as I feel like the story needs. I don't think I need to get down to making sure that every every soldier in the background has the right patch on their arm or whatever. I think it's, I think there's a yeah. level of uh, um, impressionism that you can use with that stuff where it's like, as long as, as long as the close up stuff is right, then, you know, you can kind of fudge some of the other stuff. Yeah. Yep. I get you. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we've got Joker running out of money and being gifted $250 million by his uh, arch rival here. Harley's not so lucky. Harley goes back to Arkham, um, and part of Joker's spending spree is hiring a new Harley, which uh, mm-hmm. is is a fun sequence. <laughs> I I was kind that of actress. Do you know who that is? That actress? No. Who is it? Uh, do you remember the show Friends? Um, Chandler's ex annoying ex girlfriend. I forget her name, but she always used to be like <laughs> Chandler Bing. Oh, really? Oh, I I never watched Friends, but I'm sure there's plenty of people who recognize that. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, she's she's great. I love that he calls her fake Harley. Uh every mm-hmm. time um I was this I like how he's going to shoot her in the back of the head yes. the minute he gets bored with her. <laughs> this would have been a great episode for him to swing by uh the brand manager and settle up his debts. Mm-hmm. Um but unfortunately that character didn't exist then. So I didn't know this, but cuz I just looked up King Barlow cuz I wanted to know if this guy has a history. And uh, this is actually a one-shot comic from 1952, mm-hmm. uh, written by David Verne, penciled by Dick Sprang mm-hmm. and Charles Paris. And um, it actually covers up like a pothole that I found. Uh, so when watching this, I really like this episode. Uh, but I feel like if Joker gets all this money, like $250 million or whatever, and only $10 million is real, mm-hmm. Then the IRS coming to him saying, you owe us this money is bullshit. The IRS can only claim like five million because all Joker has to say is, oh, I didn't actually get 250. I only got 10. Mm -hmm. And that's just sorted out, which they don't really talk about. But in the comic, they actually point out that Joker doesn't want to admit that he was fooled. And it's his own ego that stops him from actually sorting it out with the IRS, forcing him to like create more crime, which makes perfect sense for Joker. They say that in the episode, too. Oh, uh, do they? Yeah, they also uh, they actually cover it up even more <laughs> in the episode because in Shit. the video that he watches, Barlow says, "I only gave you ten million, which I'm sure you blew through already." So the fact is right. that he has no money that he could pay taxes on. I didn't catch the line where he says he doesn't want to admit to everybody. Yeah, the laughing stock. It's in okay. it's in the video where he says, "I I only gave you ten million, which I'm sure you blew through already." Yeah, and you're t- it's uh you you could never admit that I got one over on you because you'd be the laughing stock of the crime. Whatever. You know what? You're right. Okay, I retract everything I said. Sorry, David. Well, Byrne. what's Dick Sprang? The the other piece of trivia that I liked, which I actually don't know if this is true because I'm not a tax attorney. Uh, but it says, in U.S. tax law, inheritances are not taxable to the recipient. What is taxable is the distribution to the estate. So the IRS should have been talking to the executor, not Joker. <laughs> yeah. I know another workaround I thought was if Joker agrees to take this inheritance, there could be strings attached where he also inherits the debt. So he might not 
if you wanted to make this more realistic, and this is a kid's show, by the way, so this is don't like, do this This is idea. like the trigger discipline of Joker's Millions <laughs> is working this out. This is the trigger discipline of the IRS guy yeah. who's about to blue. He's losing his mind because no one in <laughs> Gotham seems to understand how taxes work. <laughs> like, damn it, honey, I get home and all I only want to do is watch Batman and relax. I don't want to think about working in H&R Block and how I wasted my life. Mm-hmm. The least they could do is understand a little bit about tax law. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she tries to take away his dinner. He's like, I'm not done with that. Worth worth the time and the effort. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I really enjoy this one. This is, uh, I, I think, again, I, I hate to keep harping on this, but uh, Paul Dini writes the best Joker. All of his Joker episodes mm-hmm. are really good. Um, yep. You even get a, you get some nice Harley and Ivy stuff in here a little bit. Uh, I I was, this is one of those episodes where... It kind of surprises me that we have so many episodes where we're like, man, that was nothing really happened. That story was so simple because they've got so many moving parts in this one because you've got mm-hmm. the Joker with the money. You've got the Harley thing going on. You've got Batman trying to you know, figure out what's going. There's like three different things all going at the same time. So it's not that yeah. these episodes mm-hmm. can't get complicated i don't want to say dense because it's it's not really dense but there's it's it's more than just point a to point b you know right yeah yeah do you uh man i do you feel like we were sort of criticizing season three as feeling very light and streamlined and it doesn't have the depth of the first two seasons Mm -hmm. or three seasons and i think this one it's an amazing episode, but it still has that problem where it, I mean, it's by design, not going to be hard of ice, obviously. Right. Um, but it still is missing. It's doing what all the other episodes from this season are doing where it's, it's, it's taking a lot of, of ideas and, sh- and str- stripping them down so that it's just like beat after beat after beat, things move forward. It never lets up. It never slows down to let you breathe and consider anything. Um, and again, this wouldn't be the episode to do it, but this still feels like a season four episode yeah, it does. and it wouldn't exist in season one through three i know i keep changing the seasons around but hopefully people know what i mean <laughs> yeah it, it it it's funny because it, it reminds me a little bit of uh the holiday nights episode in that there's like a montage of like silly costumes and doing funny things <laughs> in the middle of it which i yeah. actually to jump to the things that i would like to draw i think i would like to draw joker in his golfing attire because <laughs> i had a feeling when it goes through Joker using his money and painting his mansion purple, I'm like, this is what Clay's going to pick. Yeah, that was, Although he wouldn't want to draw a mansion. Yeah, well, you know, I can trace a mansion like in nobody's business. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that stuff was really fun. I think that would be a lot of fun to draw and Joker being uh, uh, goofy in a golf suit, I think would be fun. But it's still the same kind of energy as that other thing where it's like, mm-hmm. let's kill a couple minutes by doing a, a montage of silliness. Like this whole episode yeah. is, is it's it's pretty silly. It's pretty goofy. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got Harley getting caught in the spin cycle of a washing machine. <laughs> um, yeah, that wasn't in the comic. The, uh, the Joker interviewing all of these other Harleys. I mean, that stuff is fun, but that, that stuff is good. But it's like, it, it, there's still like a goofiness level to it. Um, yeah that yeah i don't think they leaned into as much in the previous seasons yeah it's fine i mean if that was the order from on high if they wanted it to be like hey guys you know as much as we appreciate an episode about this flashback between a priest and a gangster <laughs> and this like you know once upon a time in brooklyn or whatever like 
this is a kid's show. So you mind lightening it up a bit? Thanks. <laughs> then they, they certainly did it, you know? Yeah. And I'm starting to notice um, <clears throat> they really are kind of dialing back on Batman this season. Uh, because oh, yeah. Robin and or Night, well, yeah, Robin, Nightwing, and Batgirl are definitely getting more screen time, and uh, Batman's kind of he's not getting pushed to the side, but sometimes he kind of is. He's he's you know Bruce Wayne is in this one for a little bit. Batman's mm-hmm. really only there at the beginning and the end. Uh, in the yeah. in the next one, Batman's barely in it. Um, so yeah, it's it's. It feels like maybe they are trying to skew a little younger because obviously the uh, Batman and Robin had just come out, so they're trying to bring Batgirl into the proceedings and angle into that stuff. So yeah, maybe, maybe that's just the the mandate is that it's supposed to be a little bit more uh, kid focused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I think this it does a good job at handling a lot of complex ideas, like. <laughs> Joker's one-liner are like, I'm crazy enough to tangle with Batman, but the IRS, no, thank you. <laughs> that must be one of the best Joker lines in the entire series, honestly. Yeah. I you know, I wonder if that's in the comic, actually. I will... The one thing I will credit all of uh, popular culture as the one uh, positive thing that I think they've given to the world is everybody, I think, has a healthy fear of the IRS, thanks to... <laughs> Thanks to cartoons and movies and stuff, because it's always that's always the joke, right? It's always like, oh, geez, the IRS are going to kill you, blah 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 blah. And that's why to this day I'm terrified of being audited or something. I, like, it's yeah. like, oh, if you get a thing a, a thing in the mail that says from the office of the treasury, I just like I have to take a yeah. second and breathe in before I open it. Yeah, I knew a, a famous Batman artist who's very wealthy. He's a friend of mine, and uh, he got audited like three years ago. Four years ago, and it was just like this year-long process. It's pain in the ass, and had to hire people. And um, you know, when you're that wealthy, your money is harder to keep track of because mm. you have people that like invest for you, and you have it spread out. And you, your accountants do things with your taxes that you're not really aware of, nor could you explain. That's the problem with the tax code; is it's just so complicated. There's all these loopholes if you pay the right person. So he didn't do anything wrong, but he just still had to justify it. And the stress of possibly losing money, and even if they find you guilty, you can negotiate on how you want to pay them back and when you want to pay them back. And yeah, it just, it's, he was, he's like a guy that's not easily stressed out, but he was very stressed out for a year. And finally, when it was over, he just got drunk as fuck at a convention. And <laughs> I can't blame him. Yeah, my sister got into, uh, it wasn't trouble. Like she didn't do anything wrong, but it was like, she got a notice saying that she owed money, but she had already paid the money, mm-hmm. but like it didn't register, so she kept getting the notice. It was one of those things where it was like there's some sort of clerical error where she mm-hmm. kept getting a notice and was getting like heat from the IRS for not paying this thing that she had paid off like six months ago. And yeah. it's it's one of those things where it's like, ugh, you know, because yeah. uh, that's not going to go away until they find the error. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I uh I didn't I don't have tax problems but I when I was living in California uh I moved and the state assumed that I still made money in California the year after. So they sent me a letter and it took a while to get forwarded to my new address which was in New England. Mm-hmm. And you know it said that I owed like $6,000. And I showed it to my dad, you know, I was young enough to still be like, "Dad, what do I do?" And he's like, well, you didn't do anything wrong. I would just throw the letter out. So I'm like, okay. And that's sort of the way I was raised. Like, 
he was sort of very libertarian minded that way. Mm-hmm. Like to this day, I don't get my cars uh, inspected. I just get them registered and I just, if I get pulled over, cops rarely notice anyway. Like I'll follow the rules that I have to follow, but I'm happy to ignore a lot of the shit that just seems like an annoyance. And it's just how I was raised. Hold on. So, hold on. You don't get your cars <laughs> inspected? Uh, no, I get, the, I have them registered, but I don't, I don't get them inspected. Okay. And I know you're supposed to, and you're supposed to have the sticker, but I've moved around to so many different states and I buy cars in other states. So it's always like a mishmash of like, when am I supposed to get this inspected? Do I get a year pass? You know, I bought a car in Pennsylvania and I transferred it to, like I paid the registration fee, so I'm not a total criminal. Mm -hmm. So when I get pulled over by cops, usually they're just going to say, just get it taken care of. And I don't get pulled over that much anymore, so I just I never bother getting stuff registered. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, uh, getting it inspected. The, the cops, the cops in Maine that listen to this show. <laughs> I know. Well, some half the vehicles I own are antique, and you legally don't have to get them uh, inspected. Oh, okay. you know, if your brakes okay. give out on your classic Datsun, well, that's on you. That's on you, buddy. Sure, sure. You know? And the guy in front of you, but whatever. <laughs> um. Anyway, so uh, that mentality. Keep that in mind. So I. I show my father this letter from california and he's just i would just throw it out so i just chuck it and i keep chucking these letters for years and eventually they just go away so i'm like all right problem solved i just hope i don't get into don't get arrested in california because right. maybe yeah. that would be bad so every time i went to san diego i was always careful to like you know not stand out or whatever um so finally we're trying to register to get a loan for a house and I have a lien on me that I didn't know about it. This lien was, you know, six years old and we couldn't get the money we needed for this house because idiot here followed his father's <laughs> advice and he didn't decide to sort it out. And of course, there's like extra fees tacked on now from the beautiful state of California. So I, uh, I, had, a, uh, I had a lot more money to my name at this point. So I had an attorney, a tax guy rather, and he was able to just take it and deal with it for me. Um, but it still definitely dinged my credit. Um, and, you know, sorry to get boring, but being a freelancer, a lot of people know, like, it's just the system to get loans and the way that banks work are not designed to help us at all. Like, right. They don't like the fact that we, you make no money one year and a lot of money next year. Like, they like consistency. Right, and freelancing right. is not about consistency. They hate 1099s. And when you're a freelancer, you're all about 1099s. They prefer W-2s and W-9s or whatever, like the regular ways of the salary people, you know, make money mm-hmm. and they like to see if you're going to get a loan they don't want to see a bunch of money get injected into your account last year they want to see that for the last five years you've had a consistent healthy amount in your bank before they give you a loan sure. so you know going to the local bank and shaking hands with the farmer next to you is like hey you know me you know i'm good for it blah blah blah. like those days are fucking over mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um so yeah if, for me ironically i had all this batman money i do a ton of cash at conv- conventions i could buy the person who's denying me alone i could buy them and all of their friends i could hire assassins to wipe these people out no problem but but because you know sean i'm glad you're staying humble in your success (laughs) sorry i was getting really furious with these people and i wasn't complaining they don't you know who i am thing but it's like how is it that i have cash in hand enough to buy a giant house in portland and yet they're still not able to loan me a measly $200,000 for the last 10%. Mm-hmm. Like, who the hell shows up and is able to buy a house 80% of the way or whatever? Like, I had a ton of money to put down. And it didn't fucking matter. The truth is, if 
I had a part-time job at Starbucks making 18 a year, they would have been more likely to give me money. Right, right. Well, you know, it's what hap- what's going to happen is you're going to get in their face and they're, and they're going to be like, oh, really? Well, how come at the end of <laughs> Curse of White Knight you didn't understand that Bruce Wayne can't just give all his money away because Wayne Enterprises <laughs> has people on the board. He has people to answer to. He can't just say it's, it's all over and just liquidate it. They would get him off the... Do you even research anything Man. you do? <laughs> the guns the guns away. look great though <laughs> <laughs> yeah at least you know about trigger discipline <laughs> yeah no honestly like the with how far behind the irs is if i if you were me or anybody listening who's a freelancer gets out of they're gonna be like so what kind of artist are you you're gonna go freelancer and they're gonna say what do you mean freelance and you go well I, i'm an idiot who tries to make money in comics and they're gonna go like like Spider-Man and Batman and stuff, like movies, and you're like, yeah, but it's not a lot of money in it like you would think. I'm actually pretty poor. Yeah. And then they're going to go through your write-offs and try to understand your weird-ass career, and they're just going to be rolling their eyes like, why can't this motherfucker just, just get a real job at Starbucks? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they even went to my... If, they, if I sat down with these people and they're like, all right, we've researched your case. We know all about you, Mr. Murphy. We know... We've read all of your scripts. We have all of your pitches. We know about your endings. We know about the YouTube videos that bro- have broken your Batman apart. And we, if they showed up that prepared, I would be stunned to know that the IRS is actually doing that kind of legwork and that that's what my tax dollars are paying for. <laughs> well, just for the record, I think the IRS does a great job, just in case they happen to be listening <laughs> to this. In case they're listening. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm not trying to be arrogant by saying I could buy you, but I was in a really bad mood that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> yeah i think i found a, anyway I found we... a pull quote for this episode <laughs> um last thing to talk about in this one is just briefly uh it's the first appearance of the new redesign of the penguin which is um a, a much more classic sort of mm. uh burgess meredith looking penguin yeah. less interesting to me than the danny devito one um <laughs> yeah but I guess they're, they're, I, I guess this season his deal is mostly that he just owns the Iceberg Lounge. Yep. And so I guess they wanted a design that looked a little bit more formal and not like a giant, you know, uh, yeah. mutated. Yeah, he's man. the legit businessman now. That's kind of how they went with him. Yeah. Well, um, in fact, if I was, that would be the thing that I would want to draw is I would try to keep him in that character, but I would put the long hair back. Like I kind of miss the old. Uh, Danny DeVito style, mm, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a it's a cool look. It's an interesting take on him, and I guess, I guess at this point it's out of style because it's uh, what six years after that movie came out, I think. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's just that, a little more traditional Penguin, uh, which yeah, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of, but I don't think the design itself looks bad. I think it's fine. You know, I I bet that I think when they first did the Danny DeVito one for season one they sort of didn't want to mm-hmm. because it was a brand new idea. Like imagine you and I writing Batman and they gave us a brand new idea for a character that we loved that was totally foreign to us. Mm-hmm. And for you and me, you know, Danny DeVito is where it all goes back to. You know, right, right. We're, we're younger. Right. But for them, they grew up with the Burgess Meredith. So I bet they were happy to return to form. That's true. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, uh, I have no problems with him in general. I th- I don't think he shows up a ton of times, um, so he he's not really that that prominent. But I do like the new role if he's more of a background yeah. character who owns that lounge. I think that's fun. Um, 
it's interesting it's interesting how you've got on one hand you've got the oswald cobblepot of batman returns who is this uh comparable he's sort of like the mirror image of bruce wayne where Mm -hmm. he's born to rich family but he was born as a quote-unquote freak throw they they threw him in the water and he never got the money that he was owed but he's like this also secret millionaire kind of thing uh, versus yeah. this one where it was a nice juxtaposition in uh, Batman Returns. Yeah, versus this one where he's just like a kind of sleazy businessman. Um, yeah, I I think I think the the first one works really well for the purposes of uh, Batman Returns, but I mm-hmm. think he's probably better suited in this kind of characterization. Yeah, yeah, you know I uh, I've always liked the Penguin as like a a B villain. I don't yeah. see myself ever writing a story where he is the main threat. And I do like that they made him a tragic, sort of empathetic character for the first part of that movie. And he's a version of Bruce Wayne that constantly has fish guts and motor oil leaking out of his face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know what it was that made me not love that movie when it comes to the Penguin. Mm-hmm. Maybe it just got too silly. Maybe they just let tim burton off his leash and he's like awesome so it's gonna be like beetlejuice but with batman in it sometimes <laughs> hey I, this sounds good to me <laughs> um and you said you would draw the iceberg lounge yeah i like that setting a lot i think it's a cool like blue looking art deco type of place uh with the seals and stuff in the water i just always thought that was neat yeah that would be that would be a tough one for me because uh, man my, i the thing i i can never crack is i'm just not a clean artist like even when i try my best to have like nice clean lines they're always fucked up somehow and so something (laughs) like that like the iceberg lounge which is like everything is ice and perfect and the lines need to be uh pristine i would just be like ugh. uh what if the lights are out or something (laughs) yeah Yeah, you know the cleanliness so i have excuse me sorry i just hit my microphone the, my art, the cleanliness depends on the story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not something conscious I do, but with plot holes, it's a lot more cartoony, so you get a lot of more animated faces and stuff. With Batman, there's just a ton of shadows, so I just end up, without even thinking about it, making things more mature, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if your style can become like a chameleon, depending on the script you have, or if, when you do it, is it conscious or not? Yeah, I don't know. I... I uh... Everything I've done so far has has had a, a level of grit built into it, so I haven't done anything that really requires a clean style. Mm-hmm. There's something I'm kind of working on now that I might try to go a little cleaner with it just to see if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would draw Golf Joker. That's another thing. Maybe I'll just draw that <laughs> on the side for the hell of it. That would be fun to draw. Golf Joker in a golf cart is pretty great yes yes <laughs> uh and of course he like interrupts bruce wayne on a date right yeah see see that's that's one of the things too where it's like i feel like a a, a more considered montage like that would have bruce wayne like tracking him or something as he spent instead of the mm-hmm. joker just passing through frame while bruce is on a date yeah this version of bruce where he's batman all the time i don't see him dating no, I think the no. old one does with a double-breasted definitely. brown jacket. Yes, definitely, definitely that one. Um, <laughs> what would you What would you rate this one? Um, I'm gonna go four out of five. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go four as well. 
not only because of its accurate depiction of technology at the high tech software expo at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> The HD TV stand. Yes, yeah. You're big on DVDs. And I love how Batman punches him through the center of a CD. Yes, yes. <laughs> Great use of a CD. Yeah, it was very much like oversized prop, like mm-hmm. Adam West style, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but still being reasonable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'm going to give it a four. I like this one. I think it's uh, it's a good Joker episode. Um, I think the the goofiness of it works. I think it's pretty funny, actually. Uh, I would say, I think the new version of the Joker works pretty well in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure w- w- why, like, I don't know if it wouldn't work with the old one or what, but it, it, he just, he seemed to, that design seemed to fit the story that they were doing here. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for Joker's Millions. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back. We'll be back with Growing Pains. Okay, Growing Pains, story by Paul Dini and Robert Goodman, teleplay by Robert Goodman, directed by, oh boy, uh, Atsuko Tanaka, let's call that right. Um, Sure. In this one, Robin fights to protect a young girl with amnesia named Annie, who is being stalked by her father, quote unquote, who turns out to be Clayface. Having created the girl from his own body to scout out the city, he now intends to reabsorb her. Um. I hadn't I could not remember the last time I had watched this it didn't seem super familiar to me so I didn't have like a working knowledge of the episode and about halfway through I was watching it with my girlfriend about halfway through I went I think I know what the where this is going and the reason that I figured it out was because the father when he was talking Mm -hmm. I was in my head I went that sounds a lot like Ron Perlman yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately I was like, yeah, that's, oh, that's I know giveaway. what's going on. Yeah, um, yeah or, um, I did a commission of this piece um, a couple oh, years ago, I guess. Um, and it was Batman on a motorcycle, my motorcycle, slamming into Clayface and like skidding into him, but pushing his body over the edge of a building while the rest of his body is like oh, cool. stretched out like, you know, 20 feet. And way in the background is uh, Annie, the girl, and I think the guy who wanted the commission asked for her specifically. So I did get to like revisit this episode kind of recently. And uh, if you can, if you look up that commission, I'm I'm pretty proud of it. it. It still holds up. A lot of my stuff I I don't like to look at anymore, but that one for sure. Oh, nice. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that. I look, um, I'd like to see that one. Yeah, uh, and when I was doing that commission, I realized that Annie is definitely based off of the girl from The Professional. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely same the kind of 90s look. choker, the the bob, the sort of a look. Um I forget what's the actress's name? Natalie Queen Amidala. Natalie Portman. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, the thing about this episode is I feel like it is the first one that breaks that trend that we've been talking about with the season where they're all just kind of light because yeah. this is a season 1 2 3 episode absolutely. Yeah, um, the beat at the end too. Like, I think for a lot of fans, this is like a top five episode with the girl with Robin's like coming of age type thing. Yeah, I I I would not disagree with that. I was very surprised how good this was. 
um, on a number of levels. They they keep pulling out the stops with the animation for the Clayface episodes. Atsuko Tanaka <sighs> yeah. is uh, yeah. has worked a lot with uh, the studio. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Is it Ghibli? The uh, Ghibli or Ghibli? Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, she's worked on Lupin the Third, Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, Animaniacs, Princess Mononoke. Spirited Away, Sonic mm. X, Howl's, Move, Howl's Moving Castle, and Ponyo. So she's been involved with a lot of those, yeah. those big ones. And This animation in this is some of the best of the entire series. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, the beginning, the motorcycle stuff, all the ellipses and the wheels are correct. The bikes are all unique, and they move well, and it's hand-drawn. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy. How, and the, the effects with the bricks, when the clay face is like, yeah. turns his, yeah, that stuff is... And even the way when Robin screams at him at the end after he realizes that Annie's mm-hmm. dead, basically, they do some like jagged anime, like manga style lines on his face, and they they break model a little bit, but I think it works. Yeah, and I, it's it's one of those things where I I always end up picking up in the episodes where they really dial it up animation quality wise. I always end mm-hmm. up picking it up in like the in between type movements that you can tell they really put put some elbow into uh, put yeah. some back into elbow elbow grease whatever elbow grease yeah. put your back put into your, it put some back yeah. grease into we, it uh, like gross. in that first sequence <laughs> in that first sequence with the motorcycle guys there's a moment where robin picks up a two by four and throws the two by four and like yeah. they animated like every moment of that where it, you know his arm just like bends back yeah. in this really dynamic way and you see like the whole movement of his body as he throws it yeah like i was like oh okay this is one of those ones where they're really gonna go for it yeah there's one where uh clayface as the dad throws robin and robin does like a tucking somersault and it's done from a three-quarter angle with the camera slightly above mm-hmm. and i paused it and i went back i wish that i could get my um hbo max to do slow motion because i i wanted to know like how do they do they film somebody and, and get get it on model that way? I mean, it just looks so good and it's so fast that it you don't even really appreciate it, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's lots of that stuff. It's always it's always in the stuff like that where they really take their time. Like in the this the the Sub Zero movie, we were both like, Did you see that shot of Batman and Robin <laughs> running towards the camera for half a second? It looked amazing. <laughs> yeah, the Dutch angle with the ice in the back. You know what? Yeah. That's actually a lot like the shot here. Where Robin and Annie are running towards us in a tunnel, and you see Clayface's clay and bricks smash into the wall. Right. It's basically the reverse shot. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's the Clayface stuff looks fantastic. Uh, all that brick stuff is amazing. All of the uh, yeah. attacking that he does is really great. Um, and on top of that, the story is just really good. It's yeah, it's um, it's not a lot of story. But it's an affecting story, if that makes sense, because you spend yeah. you have Robin, you're the, your focus is on Robin and you spend mm-hmm. enough time with him and the girl to get a bit of a uh, feeling of, of some sort of connection or relationship. And then they just like pull the rug out from under you about three quarters of the way through in fantastic fashion. Yeah. I like how uh, Robin's in the backseat of the limo and Alfred's driving and Alfred's basically like you can't leave the car, don't go anywhere. And Robin's like, fuck you, and he leaves. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm surprised they don't have some kind of a, like Alfred doesn't have like a taser or some kind of a kid leash thing that just makes Robin do what he wants when Bruce isn't around. <laughs> it's kind of a liability. <laughs> or the doors are locked. Maybe a taser's overkill, sorry. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, having keep having a ward in your house like that is just an asset that needs to be controlled at all times. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and he's got. Uh, it, it's uh, <laughs> all of all of Bruce's cars seem to be outfitted with quick change sections to turn into uh, to put your bat so- bat suit on as quickly as possible if you need to jump out. Yeah, yeah. You know, of course, my brain goes to why doesn't he just taser Robin? I'm, I'm the guy that went to the IRS and told them that I could hire assassins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, maybe don't bring me if you need Mr. Level-headed, maybe don't bring Sean along. Yeah, I look forward <laughs> to all of these being used in court someday. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> but I just wanted to know who draws that part of the head tie. That's all I wanted to know. I didn't do anything illegal here. You know, I listen to that hentai one a lot, and I go back, and I'm like, man, there's like three extra points that I wanted to make that I totally forgot, and uh, I can't remember it right now, plus there's, it's not the place for it, obviously. Oh, it's too bad, because this is the animation one where they really leaned into it, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's good. I think the, um, the payoff at the end works really well. Uh, it's, it's funny how after he absorbs, reabsorbs the girl, mm-hmm. I was at that point he starts he accidentally slices open the solvent tank and starts getting dissolved and stuff and i felt more worried or like involved or affected by him getting eaten away by the solvent after he had reabsorbed the girl because you're now worried you know the the girl is a character you're attached to she's now sucked mm-hmm. back into Clayface. So now anything that happens to him is by proxy happening to her. So it it oh, right. it adds yeah. it adds a little bit of uh of uh tension to that to that stuff yeah. that I thought worked really well. Yeah, I was moved by her being reabsorbed is heartbreaking of course, mm-hmm. but I was more moved by Robin losing his shit and deciding to like possibly kill Clayface. Sure. Yeah. And the Batman has to step in. Like you see what pushes Robin over the edge like you know, he goes through the entire rainbow of emotions in this episode. He's like love struck when they're talking to Gordon. He's, you know, confused. He's hurt. He's sad. He's happy. Whatever. They're holding hands at one point, and then he's just pure anger. You know, this this poor kid, who generally deals with emotion pretty well. Like um, the way that Tim is written in this series, he's sort of like the level-headed Robin. I've always felt like the kid's pretty bulletproof. Like I don't think he needs a therapist. I think he's generally got himself under control. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dick. Dick needs a therapist, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, in this one... <laughs> Maybe Batman hasn't tased him so much when he was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, he's learned now, so he lets he lets Tim free, free run a little bit. Uh, yeah, like, even even in that little scene where uh, he's like, yeah, my dad wasn't wasn't that great either. It's like, oh, he's actually kind of... He's yeah. kind of dealing with that stuff pretty well. He's a fairly... Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. So, uh... To skip to the end, and there's a reason why I'm bringing this up, I, I do give this a four. I don't give it a five, and I don't know why. I'm trying to think of what I would do to improve this because I feel like, in theory, this could have Heart of Ice-level emotions going on. Um, and I know that for a lot of people, this is one of their favorites. I think this might be a little bit overrated as far as an episode, but I'm not... I, I still think it's like a high four. Mm-hmm. But... I'm trying to think, like, if she was actually real, maybe that would be all the difference. But then, of course, the plot doesn't make sense. Um, I'm trying to think what it is that's missing for me that's keeping it from being a five. Well, is she she is she not real, though? I mean, she says she's not real, but she's real enough to Robin, right? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, do, you, do you just, you just want it to be like, like she, an inner light situation where you see them spend their entire life together? 
and grow old and and get married and then she, <laughs> then she finds out she's Clayface and gets absorbed back into Clayface. <laughs> that would oof, that's brutal. Um or they have a kid, but it's just like a mushy ball of clay, and they're like, what's so, going on? And then the clay turns into a baby. Funny you should mention that, because uh, I, I have never read the story, but uh, I saw it come up somewhere recently. I think I think around the time WandaVision was out, because of uh-huh. all the stuff with her kids and stuff, this came up. Um, yeah. There's an X-Factor story where uh, okay. multiple men... Didn't think that would be coming up during a Batman yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> where multiple man and I believe Siren, who is uh, Banshee's daughter, they mm-hmm. either get married, they have it, they have it, she gets pregnant and they have a kid. Yeah. And after she gives birth to the kid, <clears throat> she gives him, she gives the baby to multiple man to hold, and multiple mm-hmm. man immediately absorbs the baby back into himself because she had fallen in love, she didn't know this, and neither did he, with one of multiple man's clones. Oh. So after as soon as she gives birth to this newborn baby, hands it to multiple man, and that absorbs yeah. back into him, which then he eventually absorbs back into the original original multiple man. But wow. man, like that is yeah, that is a fucking gut punch. That's an amazing story. Yeah, you know I'm watching um, <clears throat> Invincible now, and there's that girl that can keep changing, keep multiplying herself, and as she's getting blasted in the face, she'll divide from herself like osmosis. Mm-hmm. So a version of herself gets killed over and over and over while the essence of her keeps moving on. But then there's a question of, well, that version of you that was getting killed was still a human being who was probably terrified. Like what? And for that matter, do you even get to charge the the assailant with a murder? Like there's all, I'm just curious. Like I know not to get into legal stuff and IRS (laughs) all over again. Do they have to pay taxes? No, I'm kidding. If you were Um, to (laughs) hire someone to kill an IRS agent who happened to be able to (laughs) multiply themselves, would that count as murder? If the clone did the murder and then uncloned, and you could prove that uh, the cl- the clone was acting in and of himself, that the clone is now essentially dead, I think Joker's lawyer would be able to get him off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, if the clone did flee, then he can go free, or some. you need a jingle for it, basically. <laughs> if the killer was a clone, the defendant must go home. <laughs> this is why you're the real writer. <laughs> uh, oh man, that's good. Um, yeah, but that 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 stuff it's that, that stuff always works when you can when you can lean into really getting the hooks into someone emotionally and then just rip away the reality of yeah. it. That stuff always always works. Yeah. So, did you know this episode was highly rated? I didn't. No, I. Um, I. Uh, I I didn't remember it, or I didn't remember the name. I I never really heard it mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I usually hear Heart of Ice and and the uh, the flashback mm-hmm. mobster episode talked about a lot, but this one I don't really hear talked about that often. In my yeah. in my weekly meeting <laughs> of Batman the animated <laughs> series fans that I go to. Uh, um, how many comments do you get? on each episode do you get a lot of these things or because when you reach out to me sometimes a fan will have a question or whatever do you get a lot of like feedback for these episodes um on youtube the one the, on the youtube posts a, a couple a mm-hmm. handful not too many um but i do get questions from our uh penske file patrons through our discord that we're on uh, we have okay. a, we have a badass 
thing over like a channel yeah. over there that people can talk to talk to me and all that kind yeah. of stuff so i find that and twitter that have- twitter as well I get, I get people on twitter from time to time that's true yeah uh yeah being off twitter and all you handle the the correspondence so i don't really get it from you but the two that have leaked through to me were both sex-based it was like who is the Sean banged a stripper who used to date a Batman actor. Who was the Batman actor is the number one thing I get. Mm-hmm. Number two is that sci-fi actress in a bar who got finger blasted. What's her name? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't, I don't blame people for asking that. Obviously, <laughs> I don't expect people to be like, you know, can you give me some help with my ten ninety nine? Well, I mean, you know, if you could tell that story and have and teach a a lesson about personal finance at the end of it, then maybe maybe that would be more helpful. Uh, oh man, I'm trying to think of a way to use like the phrase uh, "trigger discipline" with uh, finger blasting oh somebody, but I, I can't seem to. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> luckily I can't do it. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah, um, yeah. I I don't I don't know how much there is to say uh, about this episode i think there i mean it's it's really good it's uh i think it shows that there's not this this season doesn't have to be as uh i don't want to use the word empty but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be as light as it has been up to this point um yeah. i'll be surprised if there are more that kind of hit this height um mm-hmm. yeah because I, I i don't really this is probably the season i'm least familiar with so i don't really even know what's coming actually so yeah um if i could draw one thing i think i would ch- change the backgrounds in some of the scenes um there's at least it feels like two or three fight scenes that take place in an abandoned industrial yes like a building yeah. that's being built it's like a uh a construction site or whatever mm-hmm. and i get using it once but i feel like the boring grid of a building in the background is used in a lot of shots in this, and I just kind of wish that they had taken one of the fights to a more interesting location. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I feel like one of the hallmarks of, of a, uh, a television show that's trying to save money is how many fights or action sequences take place in factories or construction sites. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Highlander, <laughs> I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's, it's funny that they do that in this when it's like, well, it's not like it costs more to use a different location because you're drawing it. It's going to cost the same amount. Uh, but yeah, Yeah. I did notice there's a lot of kind of weird open spaces. Um, if I was to draw something, I would draw Robin, but give him like a sick BMX bike because he does a lot of. (laughs) open space running in this episode and all i could think of was he needs a bike or something he's not swinging from the rooftops because he's chasing this girl and he, mm-hmm. there are it's a lot of these big open spaces and it's just a lot of him like running yeah a long distance even towards the end where there's a point where he and batman like run off frame uh and that's yeah. like a big open expanse that they're running through and i was like rollerblades or something or a bike yeah would be would go Razor a long scooter. way yeah there you go something like that there's yeah. got to be. Is there not a, a version, a modern version of Robin in a cartoon or something that uses a razor scooter? That seems to make too much sense. Yeah. I, I put a, a hoverboard thing for Joker and White Knight, <clears throat> um, which did the trick. Actually, there's a statue that a company is going to make. I can't say who. And they're asking for extra props to put in the background of the, the plinth that he's sitting mm. on. 
So they're like, can you put like a, a trench coat over the bag of money or whatever? And I was like, well, there's really no trench coat for Joker in my book, but he did have a razor scooter. Oh, sorry, hoverboard. So I drew that leaning on a bag of money. So he just robbed a bank with his hoverboard and is now sitting near a gargoyle or whatever. It's that kind of statue. Oh, so nice, nice. It's going to be awesome, but I'm glad that they went for the uh, the uh, hoverboard. I, I, I don't want to call that a hoverboard because it doesn't look like Marty McFly's. No, it's uh, it, it well, it looks like the the one he steals though, doesn't it? It's the before he snaps the handlebars off of it. Uh, the wooden plank from the fifties. No, in uh, in uh, Back to the Future Two, when he grabs the when he gets the hoverboard, he takes oh, it from right. a girl it and a has scooter. the upright T bar uh, scooter handle right. on it. Yeah. I remember the ones in the 80s were a lot better because the tires were bigger and they were gummier, so they offered a bit more yeah. uh, spring. And I think when the Razor scooters came out, I go, that's a dumb idea because the metal and the hard wheels are really unforgiving. Like, there's no way this is going to take off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, when I was a kid, my cousin had a scooter that was like, it was a solid machine. It was like a bike. You know, it had like big... <laughs> It had solid <laughs> they don't, tires they don't on it. that way anymore. Yeah, it had solid <laughs> tires on it, and it had a braking system, like a, a bike brake system built into it. And I was like, this is yeah. so cool. It's a pain in the ass to ride because, you know, who wants yeah. to ride with pushing them with their feet? But um, yeah. Well, the fact that they're collapsible and fit into a backpack yes, is part of the yeah. charm, I guess. And I, I, I always assumed that the wheels were similar to, like, rollerblade wheels or uh, <laughs> skateboards or something, so they, they move pretty, pretty slowly. Yeah. Did you have a, a big wheel old, growing old up? Old man corner over here. Um, <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, I had a big wheel. You know what else I had, which I loved? Did you have one of those things? I don't even know what the hell it's called, but it's like it's a seat. And then yes, it's got, I was going to bring this yeah, up. Yeah, it's like kind of flat and it's got the handlebars in the front and you put your feet on the handlebars and you just like scoot your ass back and forth. Yeah, you sway the bars and there's something in physics that allows it to have propulsion yeah um i don't know what it's called no it idea. was a red plastic seat yep. with metal bar and yellow handles mm-hmm. and they were once you got them going they were a lot of fun yeah i don't know what the um, hell that was called but it was great i remember uh so anybody in the new england area who's my age or older was only going to get this joke but there was a in the lakes region of new hampshire where i grew up there was a surf coaster i think is um the water park that was there and i used to love going as a kid um, and one of the rides they had was like a cage filled with those things. It has nothing to do with water, so I don't know what, why it was there. But you had to pry me out of there because I I, refu- I don't care about getting into a wave pool, but I'll drive the hell out of one of those little red seats. So was it like a like a bumper cars thing, but with those little? I mean, it was to things? me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Joe, you were that asshole. Okay. Yeah. 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 Nice. Nice. <laughs> I just. I was always meant to be behind the wheel, man. I just it's in my DNA, I guess. Um so oh, before we end this too, I do want to talk about John Paul Leon as a oh, tribute. Oh yeah, absolutely. Before we wrap this up, but I don't know. Did you do the uh what you would draw? Oh, you did. You did. That's what got us on the scooters. Mm-hmm. I and uh what would you before we get into that, what would you rate this one? Uh a 4 out of 5. Yeah, I'm going to go 5. Um and I don't I respect that. Yeah, I I don't know if it's a f- I think it's a five, like a legitimate five, but I can't tell if it's a season four or five, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, uh, you know, Wes and I are doing Enterprise right now, and uh, the fives that I've given 
in that, which are few and far between, we constantly have mm-hmm. that discussion where it's like, is this a legitimate five or is this a yeah. five for season three of Star Trek Enterprise? Oh, yeah, you know? that sounds like a Wes discussion. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a, an appropriate question to ask because it's like uh, one of the things that this is way too long. But one of the things that uh, when I was buying a lot of albums in like high school and stuff, I'd go to All Music and check the rating and stuff. And yeah. uh, I've I've it took me a while to figure out that like a five star rating isn't like a universal rating. It's a five-star right. rating for that band, if that makes sense. So, like, yeah. uh, you know, if you're not into Rush, five stars on a Rush <laughs> album doesn't do anything. That means nothing to you. So it's still going right. to be a shitty album because you don't like Rush. And I feel like that kind of factors into these shows a bit where it's like season to season, where if you've got a crappy season and you've got one episode that is good – are you going to give it a five because it's great for that episode, that season? But if it's in the larger web of the series, is it really only like a three, you know, or a three or a four? Right. But that's just yeah. a dumb, heady way of parsing this stuff out because we've been doing it for like seven years. Um, right. But yeah, I'm going to give this one a five. I think this one, I think this one holds up. That's a long way of, of me saying I <laughs> do think this holds up. Um against the other fives across the other seasons i think yeah so that scooter i was talking about i think it's called a roller racer roller uh racer or a turtle scooter yeah i think Uh, roller racer sounds really familiar that's certainly more catchy than a yeah yeah so they're basically the same thing holy shit there's an amusement model yeah, they're 130 bucks now. Jesus. The roller racer scooter for amusement parks. So I guess Surf Coaster wasn't the only <laughs> one to carry, have this great idea. Like, hey, guys, you know that smooth piece of cement that's a cage? It's just collecting. Why don't we just buy a bunch of these uh, roller racers <laughs> and kids can just smack the hell out of each we other? We can't afford actual bumper cars, but we can afford these <laughs> plastic seats with wheels glued to the front of them. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I am curious, like the physics of how the hell this works. I'm sure there's a scientist that can explain, like Bill Nye. But this, that's who we need right now. <laughs> <laughs> and for the record, I would love to commission a Bill Nye on one of these things. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Um, yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah. So John Paul Leone, um, we've probably mentioned him a handful of times in the podcast because his art is, uh on the radar for people like clay and myself mm. and a lot of our friends and any artist that knows what they're doing and has a long interest in studying art and really respecting the artist artists so to speak jp is on that list for sure mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i uh i met him twice once i had just finished off-road and went up to him at a show and i loved his art i loved his challengers of the unknown and um earth x that he did and uh, I was just getting to know the world of comics, so I was pretty shy. But I went up to him and chatted, and he was very approachable, super soft-spoken, low-key, nice. He stood up. He was telling me what he liked about my off-road stuff. And, you know, I, I drew a picture of a cop from behind, and he really liked the way I shaded the pants or something like that. Um, but at the time, there really was no overlap between his stuff and mine. But I knew that this guy was doing something that I, I wanted to mimic. Um and then years later, I met him with another friend who was crazy about him, and we were in a bar in Manhattan, and I saw JP sitting there and just, you know, sitting by himself, 
So I went up and I embarrassed my friend. His my friend loved the way that JP drew gloves because he drew like really thick work gloves oh, sure. on all of his characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just a way of drawing the the blockiness that uh, I, I, it, it was amazing. I, I definitely, and I loved it too. I but... definitely have stolen that because I I love that too. <laughs> I love the the thick fingers where you can like see the seam that runs yeah. around the edge of the finger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's why when I draw Batman with my his loose. Um, wristed gloves they're sort of like classic spirit the spirit gloves mm. if that makes sense mm. i still try to do what jp did and i probably think about jp once a day because of that um and i also have some of his original art here i have a challengers page and um i reached out to him last year to see if he was available <clears throat> to do some white knight stuff and he declined because he told me that he had cancer and i didn't know him well enough to be like oh do you need anything can i you know if i knew him really well i'd say can i visit can i help can i this can i that Mm -hmm. whatever but i didn't know him that well so i was sort of like what's what's the correct reaction here other than horror um and yeah you know he he, i didn't know apparently he's been he was dealing with cancer for like 14 years yeah that's why i didn't know that either so one would hope that he had some kind of familiarity and peace with it or something Mm. i don't know uh, but he was super tight with uh, Tommy Lee Edwards, another really amazing artist who also draws really great thick gloves, by the yes, way. Yes, yes, he does. And yeah. uh, th- the two of them, to me, were always like, they seemed like best buds because, yeah. And uh, yeah, I uh, I guess I sort of saw the JP thing coming, but I, I was thinking last week, like, man, I got to reach out to JP. I haven't checked in with him about the cancer thing. And I'm like, well, I'm not really close enough to be that friend. And suddenly the news came out that he passed. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are your experiences with him? Yeah, he was one of those artists where um, <clears throat> I came across him before I really started taking notice or like looking up before I before I really got serious about doing comics, but was still yeah. reading them. He was one of those artists that that definitely stood out to me as mm-hmm. different and really liking the art but but i wasn't in the headspace where i was like tracking down names and stuff at that point and then later yeah. on when i really did get into to the art end of it uh i reckon i i picked him out immediately because he was in a in a pocket of guys working around the same time that it's not that they had the same style but they were all kind yeah. of circling around the same kind of vibe and it was it was really like him and tommy lee edwards and michael lark and uh mm-hmm. uh some of the uh i can't remember the other guys but in the in that kind of vein. Yeah. but he he always stood out to me because the way that he could draw a room just mm. broke my brain yeah. like i there's these amazing he's any any drawing of his that you'll find yeah. That's like a pinup or something. He always draws yeah. an amazing background that not only works like graphically, like he's he'll yeah. always block out these big sections of black and the shadows look amazing, but the detail yeah. work that he does is amazing. Like he mm-hmm. he'll draw every he'll draw every uh windowsill on the windows of the buildings, but it doesn't look over rendered. Like it's mm-hmm. it's just a perfect distillation of how to represent yeah. this stuff and have it all feel yeah. of a piece and have it not feel overcrowded and have it all work and it's just it's a level yeah. of understanding of of image making that i to this day i, I probably will never be able to 
figure it yeah. out, but it's something that I will never stop appreciating. And and his yeah, anytime he's he's been one of my favorite artists for for years and years be, because of that. His work mm-hmm. was just phenomenal. Yeah, he's a top ten, and I know we say that a lot when an artist passes, but for real this time, he is absolutely hands down a top ten in, in the history of comics, one of the best. You know, yeah. Um, you know, I was uh, I, when I spoke to him once, he he told me, um, "Go look at Toth." It all goes back to Toth, mm-hmm. is what he said. That he was the best of us. He had the perfect style for storytelling. He just, I remember him saying very clearly, "Go back to Toth." It all goes back to Toth. Um, and I was thinking about that as I listened to him. He was in a podcast about Toth in the past year. If you just Google Toth podcast, John Paul Leon, you'll, you'll find it. And I think it's his last interview podcast, whatever. And, you know, it was under COVID too. So it's weird hearing someone talk about COVID who's now passed because mm-hmm. it just realized how, how not so long ago he was, he seemed fine. Right. You right. Know? Anyway. Um, yeah, he, he was talking a lot about line weight and about his obsession with finding the right type of line, one line. Like this, the one specific line that would be the perfect line mm-hmm. for Batman's shoulder with this kind of lighting. And he was obsessed with trying to find that line. And he wasn't obsessed with how to render it. He was more involved in like the process leading up to choosing the line. You know, all the work that happens in your head before you actually put pen to paper, mm-hmm. I think, is what he was more focused on. And he, he strikes me as a very a guy who's very hard on himself and never pleased with himself. And that's, you know, an earmark of a lot of the greats. Um, but I, I, in a way I, I wish he was, yes, Toth had a quicker style that was probably better for storytelling, but JP was more interested in illustration. Like guys like JP feel to me like, Oh, you should have been born in 1930. Mm. Because you would love being an illustrator in the 50s. You could work with Gauche and do you know, fashion illustrations and then you get lots of money, like Bob Peak or whatever. Right, right, and, you yeah. know, like you're just born a man at a time and you're sort of 40 years too late. And the only way you can find to deploy your style is comics. And I don't think JP really read a lot of comics as far as you know, characters he was a fan of. I think he's a lot like me in that he sort of kind of liked it as a kid, but... He really got interested in the drawing parts, and that's what he was focused on. So when he would do a panel in a comic like Earth X or I forget some other ones, he drew comics where he had a bunch of action figures in the background, and you know he would nail it. But I reading those pages, I'm like, man, I know that he doesn't collect this kind of shit. I know <laughs> Tommy Lee Edward does, but I don't think JP does. So I think he's just doing his impression of what fanboys want to see, and he did it well. But I don't think his heart was into that stuff. I think his heart was into the shadows and the expression and you know he was just a man at a time in a lot of ways yeah and he's 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 one of those guys where i i i i was always disappointed that he wasn't more um front and center yeah because he 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 worked on earth x uh early in his career and that stuff is great yeah and his 20s he was in his fucking 20s and like his style was already bulletproof and like it evolved a little bit but it's always been great yeah i saw after after he passed um i saw walt simonson put up a a post on facebook i think because he actually taught jp at sva and uh he jp had gotten a regular drawing gig on like a i don't remember what book it was but it was like a marvel or dc book when he was a junior Mm -hmm. in, in college 
Yeah. And so he was doing that stuff full time and to the point where he yeah. he had to go to Simonson and be like, can this count as my final project? Because I've been doing yeah. 16 pages. <laughs> I just did 16 yeah. pages in two weeks or something, you know. Um, yeah. I heard he got started when he was 16. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise like me. He, I mean, I know I thought I've I've seen different accounts. His Wikipedia page doesn't seem to be that accurate. But one of the first credits they gave him is Robocop, with John Arcudi mm-hmm. back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought I heard he was started sooner than that, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm not totally sure because uh, his his style seemed to really coalesce in um, yeah. in the Earth X, and I think he worked on. I think he was the first artist on Static X, I think, or Static for uh, Milestone. Yeah, um, yeah, he was um, he was friends with Dennis Cowan, and uh, he was the one that put Toth. No, yes. He put Toth in Dennis Cowan's hand. Sorry, he put Toth in JP's hands. Toth and Jim Holdaway, who is an artist who is a British strip artist who's really good. I actually was a fan of his for a while, too. He did a book called Modesty Blase. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, which was eventually turned into um, La Femme Nikita mm-hmm. from the 90s. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he's... I feel like in the last... 10 20 years or so he hasn't been nearly as upfront as i wish he he had been um yeah because uh uh i would see him pop up every now and then to do like two issues of batman here and there and i would grab them if i saw them but i i always uh, he was always an artist where i was like man i wish he was on something front and center that i could go in every month and and grab he did uh the last big thing he did was i think uh a book called Batman Creature of the Night, I think, with, I think, Kurt Busiek, I think. I think, Which I think, was I think. coming out, like, six months ago. It was still coming out, I think. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't read the whole thing, but I picked up the first one, and I was flipping, and I was like, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. un- unparalleled. He's, like you said, his, his stuff is bulletproof. Yeah, like, I would trade my stu- my style with his in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- and why do people read White Knight, but they have no idea what that book is? Right. It, that's what kills me. And you're right. To be a JP fan over the years, it's hard because he pops up intermittently. Um, the most mainstream thing he ever did was Earth X. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, and I don't, I'm not, I, I wonder like, why isn't this guy bigger? Mm-hmm. Why wasn't he more known? Why now that he's gone, everyone who's posting, and I'm so glad they are, everyone's like, oh, I haven't heard of this guy. It's like, it's not their fault they hadn't heard of him. What the, what, why didn't he get more work? And I don't mean to, to criticize, uh, of course, but my gut is that JP wasn't really... He was ambitious about the images and his craft. Uh, he wasn't ambitious about his career. Like He wasn't making the kind of moves to try to be number one at all. Sure. And you know what? That's totally awesome because not everyone has to be that way. Like I am that way, and I know that I'm kind of the weird one in, in comics. Um, but I look at a guy like JP, and I'm like, man, if you had, if I was his manager, uh, I could have made this guy the best. He would have been the best of us. You know, he's one of those guys where it's like, why is why is he choosing to do this and not that? Mm. And you know, when you have cancer for 14 years, I'm sure it sucks the life out of your desire to work every now and then. Of course, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I always wonder about that too. Is when these guys pass away, guys and girls, and people are like, how come I've never heard of them? It's like, whose fault is it that they weren't bigger in a way, you know? And for him, I I just imagine it's his his choice more than anything. Well, I do know he did work outside of comics as well. Like he did, um, 
Yeah. He did a lot of designs for Batman Begins. Uh, yeah. He flew to the set, too, for those. Oh, damn. Tommy. No kidding. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how much work he was doing outside of comics. I mean, that's that's the thing, too, is like <laughs> comics is such an insulated world that when yeah. people disappear, I yeah. think our first inclination is is to be like, man, what happened to that guy's career? Like like Dan Pan- yeah. Panosian. He he kind of <laughs> who's who's alive? Yeah, who's very much alive and is of you know fantastic artist. But I feel like there but, was a big stretch of time where he wasn't doing comics, and I was like, well, whatever happened to that guy? And you were like, well, he did a lot of advertising and all this other stuff. Like, oh, that's right, there is life outside yeah. of comics. There are other jobs yeah. that pay better. You know? <laughs> yeah. So Dan, who is a buddy of mine, who hopefully will hear this and he will get the joke. Dan is gonna die in a bar fight somewhere because he's like an MMA brawler and he's he's a badass. But one day, some bottle is gonna end up in his face. And he's not gonna see it coming, or he's gonna kill himself in his eight hundred. Uh, horsepower Camaro. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be like, Dan, his stuff was so great. Mm-hmm. How come no one really knew his name? And we're going to be doing the same kind of, you know, surgery on this past 20 years that we're tempted to do on uh, every every creator that passes away. And I hope... But, you know... I, I, I hope that wasn't insulting what I said, but it's like, it's that... No. Because <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's such an insular community that I think when, when you're not seeing somebody every month... You you tend yeah. to think, oh well, what they just fell off the face of the earth when they are very much yeah. doing other stuff that is in different yeah. arenas, and it's not just comics. Yeah, yeah, the concept art or storyboards, um, yeah, and I, I think he liked. I mean, look at his stuff; it had to take time. Um, like, there's no way I can compete with JP because mm-hmm. I'm trying to put out eight issues a year while I'm writing them. I can't spend three page three days a page, right? Like what he does. Right. Like I, part of me wishes I could, because when I'm dead, when I die in my Dotson, um, or hopefully in a bar you're, fight or something cool. When you die, your Dotson from carbon monoxide poisoning because you didn't get it inspected. <laughs> when the IRS finally hires assassins to take me out, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know if people are gonna be like, man, Sean's stuff was really good, but some of his pages kind of sucked. Why can't he be more like JP? Whereas if I spent more time on my shit, maybe I would have a portfolio as stout as JP. But unfortunately, I chose to move faster to make more money to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And it is what it is. Like, I'd love to have art that holds up as being a top 10 illustrator like JP. But I just, I have to go faster than him. I just have, you know. Right. The other day, I was listening to his podcast and he was talking about the line, the one line. Like, how do I capture this with just one line? And I'm literally drawing, uh, inking uh, speed lines. So I'm like, line, line, yeah, line, yeah, line, yeah. line, line, line. You know, it's like, man, he was focused on one line. Here I am having like an orgy of lines that I'm barely even thinking about. Like, where I think of myself as sort of like him in some ways. But in that moment, I felt like, man, this is, maybe I don't even need speed lines. Maybe JP was right. Maybe I should be more blocky or whatever. Yeah, I think, um, I think when it comes to that stuff, when it comes to a lot of art, there's kind of two kinds of artists. There's... Uh, there's the samurais and there's the commandos and the sam- the samurais are the ones who if they can do it with one swipe they're going to do it with one swipe with one line and then there's the commandos yeah. who have <laughs> six guns strapped to them at all times and grenades and knives and everything to get the job done they'll get the job done and, whatever it takes yeah. but they're not going to yeah. they're willing to expend yeah. bullets to do it <laughs> with their rifles perched underneath yeah. their biceps Tucked firmly for maximum. firmly under their biceps yes <laughs> Yeah, um, 
I had a friend once who, he was more of the uh, samurai. It, but his analogy, uh, it's funny that we all go to war for this. Uh, his analogy was he was more like a sniper, where he sits and waits for three days just for the perfect shot to take out a, a target his way. And he said, I'm more of a, uh, a shoot-from-the-hip type of guy. Mm. I'll go into a bar, start trouble. I know my skills are good enough to kill most of the people with my pistols, <laughs> but I'm certainly not thinking it through <laughs> halfway through the event. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's not wrong. And he, he admired that I could just dive in and improv my way out. But he just his personality didn't allow for that. Yeah, maybe maybe I should pick like sports or something. There's there's te- there's there's <laughs> there's a lot of murder happening. There's in this uh, podcast. there's artists who are golfers and artists who are boxers. You know, the the golf <laughs> the golfer wants to get the get the, the ball in the hole with as few strokes as possible. The boxer is is willing uh-huh. to to just keep punching until you fall down. But golfing isn't cool. Even people who are golfers in a sense, don't want to be called golfers. They, who wouldn't want to be a samurai instead, Clay? Pick, pick your analogy. I, I could, I could go all. I, yeah, could I think go you had day. it the first time, yeah. man. I think you had it the first time. Um, but yeah, he he was one of a kind, and uh, he's a huge loss. Absolutely. Yeah, brutal. Uh, and I, I have his art <clears throat> hanging up in my uh, hallway in my stairs. So every day I uh, walk down the stairs to my studio to draw, and I pass by his stuff and there's uh more and more dead names on that wall as, as time goes by ironically so yeah he sorry to end uh, i'm glad i can end on a light <laughs> note there i got i got to meet him once in uh north carolina and yeah. uh you know he he talked to me for like 20 minutes about pens and was was super <laughs> super enthusiastic about it the entire time and i want to know i want to know the secret what yeah show me what yeah. pens you're using absolutely yeah um let me guess. He had plaid shirt on. Did not look like a comic book artist. Yeah, at pretty all. much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's him. But yeah, he's 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 a guy where it's like if I I go back in my mind and I was like, man, I wish I could have bought something from him directly when I was there, just you know, to yeah. to have that experience. But unfortunately, life is what it is. When I bought my challengers page from him for like seventy bucks, by the way, mm-hmm. why has art gotten so expensive? But I bought it, and he's like, oh. says the guy. He always says the guy lighting cigars with. <laughs> hundred dollar bills <laughs> don't tell the irs i already told them actually um yeah when i bought this page jay he, he gave me a story about it and i wondered like man this is such a good move whenever i sell a page i try to give the buyer a story that they wouldn't get anywhere else you know because it's that connection and the one i bought he um showed me like so he drew an outline of a guy's forehead and he actually whited out the containment line mm. if that makes sense so we had the shadowy brow and the top of the hairline, there was no line. Um, but he realized that was like a big learning moment for him is when he did that, he accidentally whited it out, but then he realized, no, the line is there, but I can't see it mm-hmm. was his thing. Yeah. And he tried to take that lesson forward. And yeah, I think about that every time I look at the page, honestly. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a good place to go out. On, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a funny, Oh, sorry. One last thing. When he goes on about Toth, versus himself to me that's like a very interesting line that's that's being drawn Mm -hmm. is toth wouldn't have drawn these amazing illustrations of batman in a city with all those windows toth would have found a way to quickly render it so it's digestible right right looks good enough and then you move on which you could argue that's what better storytelling is but i would say you know i know jp wanted to be more like toth but man 
it looks so good when you render those windows. Right. Like, I don't care if I'm supposed to be reading the next page and I'm stuck on this page that has beautiful windows in the background behind Batman. Like, that's what's going to make you stand out. Like, yes, this is more of an illustration. Yes, it is slowing me down. It's upsetting the pace of the book. But, I mean, how do you expect your pages to function? Is it supposed to just serve the story, even if it's boring? Or do you want enough, like, gloss, gloss and zhuzh and awesomeness in there to bring readers back? You know, because sometimes art can be so broken down and digestible. When you go look at it again, there's nothing more to learn from it. Right. Whereas if you go back to JP, there's always new things to learn. So I, I think there is something about embracing the complexity of art, which Toth didn't really do a lot, which was a choice. I get that. But to me, that's the interesting thing between Toth and JP. And if he was alive, I think I would tell JP, dude, don't worry about it. You're doing things that Toth can't do. Like right. You're do- able to do things that Toth was not able to do, period. And if Toth was alive, he would tell you to go fuck yourself. Because that's the kind of guy Toth was, from what I understand. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think it comes down to, you know, you have that dragon you're chasing as far as uh, inspiration or, or influence. But along yeah. along the way, <clears throat> what you end up doing is is creating a way to synthesize that into your own thing, which is yeah. what he absolutely. Because you look at his stuff, you can see the Toth in there, but he's not beholden to it. You know, he's not trying to yeah. copy Toth. It's, but that, and I can see why you love it because you approach comics as a painter, mm. which is, I think is what JP is. Cause even when he talks about line, he's not talking about it in the same way that like the inker Scott Williams talks about lines. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Like he's looking for a line that takes the place of brushstrokes in a, in a way. And you can kind of feel that from his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, go out, buy some, John Paulion comics and have your mind blown. Yep. I remember uh, there was a winter something he did. It was a winter men. Wild storm. Yes. Yeah. Winter men. Really great uh, pictures of like Russian architecture. And it was sort of a, a, a crime noir story. Uh, gorgeous. I, I forget who wrote it. I apologize. But yeah, that would be my favorite uh, JP stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There was, you know, I picked up uh uh, two issues of Detective Comics he did a couple years ago. Um, that was about it was a Clayface story that in, mm. involved like a uh, a plane full of people who had been poisoned or something. And it was it was uh, again yeah. it was one of those things where it's like I hadn't seen his work like up on the shelves in a while, and I grabbed it, and it was just like mm-hmm. man, yeah, he's fantastic. Why isn't he the regular artist on Detective Comics? But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, whatever you can find, Earth X is great. Um, mm-hmm. anything he does with Batman is fantastic. And any anything yep. with he his did name, a Batman Black and White story, too. right? Yeah, anything with his name on it is 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 worth a buy. So, yeah, yep. check out Tommy Lee Edwards too, of course. And uh, if you see that uh, the Toth podcast is really interesting. If you're an artist and you're you want to deep dive into what a line means, then it's it's interesting. And also hearing an artist as talented as JP talking about how insecure he is. But in a way that he's managing it. Like, he doesn't sound like a wreck. He's aware of where he wants to go. Right. That makes yeah. sense, you know. And strangely enough, the Alex Toth podcast, just as much hentai talk as on this show. So. <laughs> Who'd have thought? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for sticking with us for a longer episode. Um, we're going to be back next time with Love is a Croc and Torch Song. So uh, thanks, guys. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, man. Next time. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.